Welcome to the History of the Batman with London, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles in Hollywood, California. This is where we relive the defining moments of one of the most iconic figures in comic art and literature, the Batman. My name is Adam Silverstein, and as always, I am here with her batness, London. Also, from the shadows, this week we are joined by Shadow Adam. London, how are you? I'm good. It's been a good week. How about you? Um, well, frankly, I'm just excited to get into some more history of the Batman with you. Um, I've heard that you have a good topic planned for this week. I think so. And I think what makes this week a little special for fans that do follow the main blog um, on Instagram, instagram.com slash history of the Batman, is that this topic I haven't really gone in depth with or it hasn't been a Batman history session. So it's a little bit new for the new listeners and the old who have been following the account. Um, and it's a really great topic, I think. So the suspense is killing me <laughs> or probably I know what it is, but I want to talk about it. <laughs> So, you're going to be talking about the evolution of the Batarang. Yes. Okay. I mean, the Batarang is definitely a cool item. I mean, I think everyone associates the Batarang with Adam or Adam West, I was going to say, <laughs> which I guess they kind of do that too. Right. So, why don't you tell me then a little bit about what makes this Batarang so significant or you know well actually why don't you start with what is the batarang well the batarang pretty much when it was created back in 1939 when batman debuted it was just a metal scallop shaped object that was in the shape of a bat that matched the symbol and it was kind of in the used as like a boomerang um when gardner fox and bill finger created it that's that was their influence and that's what the first panel says it's like based off the australian boomerang and it's pretty much you it's a it's a it's a weapon and it's one of the most used i think probably in the thousands of issues that batman has been featured in the battering itself has been used countless times and i think what's significant about the battering that people may just miss is that in no matter what media you go over whether it's in comic books or it's in film or it's in television or even in video games the battering is always there with batman it's a significant part of what makes him unique um i think that the Batarang, along with all the other gadgets that he has in his utility belt or, you know, inside his cape or however the writer or artist um, illustrate it, is that it's something that is man-made and it shows, you know, his intellect and his talent and what he brings to being the caped crusader that other heroes that he's alongside don't really do because they have superpowers you know right. superman can fly and has laser vision and you know other people have super speed and super strength whereas this kind of this object kind of takes away um that aspect it's kind of in replacing it's in it's replacing superpowers right well it gives him a long range attack right and when it was when it first was introduced 
I mean, he was already going up against a supernatural um, opponent, which I always found was interesting. Um, who, who was it? It's called, he was called the Mad Monk, and he had supernatural powers. And that story was in the two-parter um, in Detective Comics, Volume 1. 31 from september of 1939 unbelievable and how you know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and um it was called batman versus the vampire and pretty much in the story is his at the time bruce wayne had a fiance and this is the first time we're introduced to julie madison and she becomes hypnotized by the mad monk and it turns into a whole journey of where batman first encounters him and uses the batarang and that's the first time you see it and he throws it at him and then it comes back but it doesn't really have an effect because this mad monk has kind of these superpowers and can transform into wolves and, and vampires and just everything that's so out of context of just you know batman fighting crooks in gotham um, it's one of the first stories that takes Batman outside of the city that he protects, and they pretty much go to Hungary, and they fly in the Batplane. So he's using this Batarang, which is pretty much almost like a ninja star, but in a boomerang fashion. And he has to not only fight the Mad Monk, but in Part 2, in Issue 32, he is trapped in a den of werewolves, and the only way to get out is if he pulls himself up out of the pit, and you see him use the battering, pretty much attach a rope to it, swing it at the edge, and then he pulls himself out of the pit. I mean, he he pretty much uses the battering to escape werewolves, right. and he uses it to fight this huge ape, and he uses it just to... in against these characters and these creatures that are kind of out of his realm. Right. But it's a simple, you know, man-made tool that he uses um, and he, you know, defeats his opponent and he wins in the end. So did the Batarang, so when he was trying to escape the wolves, did he actually attach the rope to the Batarang? Yes, the and then did eventually he get a grappling hook or was it a battering with a, a cord attached to it? Well, it would depend on the situation. Sometimes he would throw the battering at whoever or would throw it at whatever target he was aiming at. It could be a target as if he wanted to hit a button that's across the room and he would throw it. It would hit the button. You know, his accuracy, of course, is perfect and it would come back. <laughs> Years of training. <laughs> Years of training. Um and you really just see in the 40s and the 50s the battering as just pretty much one of those, you know, he throws it at whatever target is really he's aiming for and then it comes back to him. And the boomerang effect only really lasts for about maybe the first 20 years for the 40s and the 50s, the Silver Age. And you get to actually see the battering in a bigger I guess since in um, in Detective Comics 244, which is in 1957, and the cover art, which was by Sheldon Moldoff, it's called the Hundred Batarangs of the Batman. Mm. So that's the title of a that's the title of the comic. That's the title of the story, the main story, because in Detective Comics there are about four stories, but the very first one is always a Batman story. Okay. So the other issues would be 
you know, either whichever different hero or, you know, different stories. But usually with Detective Comics, Batman was the headliner. So on the cover, that's what you saw. And you see Batman and a wall of batterings. And since this is in, you know, the late 50s and it's in the Silver Age era, which shows, you know, a lot of, you know, bright and lighthearted, you know, stories and tales and it's not as dark as it was in the 1940s, you know, when he was this, you know, massive vigilante, you know, pulp figure, you know, the storyline itself and the art is just, you know, very bright and, and light. And you see these wall of, this wall of batterings and they're different. It's, there's one that is a magnet battering and then one that's the seeing eye battering. So real quick, and, before that issue right it had only been a boomerang type of type weapon, weapon. and so that hundred so who created that uh that concept of the well, multiple um well bill finger and, and gardner fox were the first to design it but then as it you know as it continued and especially with the stories it would really depend on how the story is because but for the most part it was an object that it would either be by itself and it would be thrown and it's either to an opponent or to a certain target where it needs to hit and then it comes back. Right. Or if he needed to grapple, it was kind of like before the grappling gun, which came out in the late 80s. So then this Detective Comics issue changed all that. This issue expanded upon, you know, pretty much that the batarang, however he need, you know, he makes a batarang for whatever situation he's okay. in. And I think that's what is so interesting about about this object because, you know, he has all these different types of tech and things like that, but he pretty much makes anything with the battering to help him in the certain situation. Let me ask you this. Sure. Does he prepare certain batarangs for certain situations that he knows he's going to face, for example? I mean... You know, maybe he's fighting a specific villain and then has to create a batarang to especially combat. Pretty much. And, I mean, you don't get to see the actual creation usually in the comics. It's usually if he's facing some creature or some random crook that has a certain, you know, scheme, he'll just say, oh, well, I have my trusty so-and-so batarang. Right. You know, you don't get to see him make it, but he just, of course, automatically has it. And at times, you can either see him take it out of his utility belt or you can see it take him out of his cage. And I guess the thing is, you all—he has multiple. He has tons. It's endless. He's, he's never <laughs> has just one. He's never has just one. And even though you know we're talking about the '40s and '50s and kind of the early times, I mean, later even in comics in a Teen Titans issue that was probably in the early 2000s. I mean, one of the Robins, Tim Drake, he he notes that the Batarang budget is really high. <laughs> so it's just. There's more to it than just, you know, it's just a simple weapon because he uses it all the time. And I think that's why people kind of just pass pass it because it's something so common, you know, in all of the issues. But if you look at the different ways that it's been used, it's really important. Yeah. And pretty much throughout the, you know, the Silver Age, the use has been the same. And I think once we get to the 80s, that's when it changes. Um, and that's actually seen in Frank Miller's Batman The Dark Knight Returns um, with Klaus Janssen as artist. And it came out in 1986. And in that series, he pretty much created 
a grappling gun that had the bat symbol on the end of the gun and he would use it to you know grapple up buildings or even to shoot it at opponents and that kind of took away the just batarang and rope dynamic it became something more technical you know it's not a gun it's a grappling gun but the symbol of the you know the batarang is pretty much attached to it so that actually came in the late 80s um and it's pretty much if you look at it in comics it depends on the writer and the artist but the symbol is simple it's just the bat you know, whatever the bat emblem that's on his chest is, that's the shape of it. But so, it so has on. he ever had a different shaped battering from the emblem? Or do you know? Um, you know, mostly, especially when we start talking about live action, it's pretty much whatever the symbol is on his chest that is like the exact, you know, battering shape. Even in the the I think probably besides, you know, the 1950s where the emblem was kind of in like a squished kind of (laughs) bat symbol, like the wings are kind of at a weird angle. And so dynamically, you know, throwing it, he might have had to make it a little bit larger. You know, it's more scalloped than just kind of squished. Other than that, once the 80s came and Miller, you know, introduced the grappling gun, and the films pretty much did the same thing. They kind of took the shape of whatever his emblem was. And so, match. And, and that's one of the things you told me earlier um, off the air is that with regards to all the medium that Batman is portrayed in, uh, the battering is a consistent thing. Exactly. And so you've got actually a little bit to talk about with regards to the film, television, comics etc let me ask you this before we get there though um have you ever seen any blueprints or internal workings of the battering is that available do you know of that because i know with marvel they use the marvel uh handbook you know Mm -hmm. the who's who dc did one and they would break down right and i i I know i saw a diagram of uh of spider-man's um web shooter shooter. okay i wondered if they'd ever made a you know i've I'm actually a huge fan of the Who's Who's, and I've collected them for a while. And with Batman, they would they did his utility belt, and they kind of broke it down that way, and the battering was included. But the actual workings of it wasn't really um, there. But it's pretty much until probably you know the '90s, and when we get to live action and and um, animation, that it was just a metal object you know there wasn't really any inner working it's almost like it was sculpted just as you know a tool makes sense you know it wasn't there wasn't any inner workings in it so i think later you know when you see like the electric one and the razor one and all those kind when they kind of you know develop the battering and more than just uh throwing right they add the tech right when they add the tech then it would be interesting to see if someone would do a pl- blueprint of it. But as I know, they don't. Okay. They don't really focus on it. All right. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I want you know some people may want to build their own battering. And... Right, and people have. Oh yeah. <laughs> but people have made it out of different material. I mean, there's like a there's someone that made about a twenty foot 
battering, but it's all in wood. Wow. I mean, you know, people, they, I mean, that's why I think the battering is so cool. I mean, people are making their own batterings, even though they're not going to use it, hopefully, on anybody or anything. You know, just the fascination of that's Batman's weapon. I mean, it has bat in it. And that's pretty much what they need. I mean, bat, the Batmobile and the Batcave, the Batplane, the Batboat, and all of the long list of, you know, bat names that I think, you know, the the nineteen sixty six series kind of really pushed, you know, everything was bat whatever it is. Right. Um, but the battering is so commonplace yet it's had a very interesting um designer's history. Yeah, well it, it sounds pretty awesome. So why do you think that that I mean, other than the utility belt in which it can be found, right. why do you think that surpassed any other utility that he had on his belt or any other item? Well, it's interesting because it just seems like, because of course in most comics, you know, he doesn't use any other weapons and he doesn't have any other powers. And I think just that the battering enough is just a symbol of not only that, you know, he built it in his idea of it, but it also shows his, you know, almost physical perfection in how he it can be used as almost a you know distraction to opponents it's not just thrown at them at their you know arm or their leg or their body it's more it can be thrown as a distraction and then he comes in and uses his own you know um physicality and uses his own you know martial arts techniques and that kind of the battering kind of highlights his you know his physical side, you know, how, you know, usually in the origin stories, you know, after his parents are killed and he, you know, vows to avenge their deaths and he goes into training, that's what his, you know, power is built off of is his, you know, training in all of the different martial arts and all of the sciences and all of his knowledge in that way. I think all of that kind of is combined into how the battering is used, whether it's just a metal, you know, tool or if it does extra, you know, things. But in all, it's the battering and him, you know, going head to head, the combat fighting, which is what I think a lot of fans like about Batman is that he, you know, is human and he built this certain thing. And it's literally in the shape of the bat of what he represents. I mean... He represents, you know, the bat, which is a shadowy figure, and he wants to bring that fear into the hearts of anyone he's going up against. And literally seeing a bat flying at you if you're the opponent, I mean, that's a really good representation of that. So I think out of all of the gadgets, I mean, you know, they've had who's who's and different stories where they've broken down all of the things that are in the utility belt, which have been in like the fifties, you know, like numbered so many, but the battering is pretty much the, you know, tool that he uses. And I think that's why, because it's a representation of him and what he represents as a hero. Does he ever, like there's been some costumes where he doesn't actually have a utility belt. Is that right? Right. And where is it's assumed that he then carries the batterings in the cape? Or? Pretty much, because that's where they kind of descend from. He'll kind of 
reach his arm back and then just kind of throw them. So, you know, you don't see the little pockets that are in there. And that's not really explained. But, of course, he always has them on him. So sometimes you can literally see that it's folded and he puts it in the utility belt, you know, besides the kind of exaggerated um, look at the battering where it's, you know, a pretty huge prop, yet you always see Adam West, you know, when he needs it to go grappling up a building, he goes into his utility belt, and then it's three times the size of what the utility belt can hold, and then, you know, he does his thing. So, yeah, you don't really see it really coming, you know. You don't see it where he, where it descends from, but it could be from the utility belt, it could be from the cape, right. and it depends on, the, you know, the size and what it does, and... Yeah, it's all from the artist's interpretation. And so you now have mentioned Adam West, and we talked about some other um, incarnations of Batman where he may or may not have the belt, But which also brings me to the point about what you were talking to me about earlier, about the significance and the fact that it's something that has transcended all the various Batman incarnations. Right. Um, it, it still was, you know, in the comics, you know, even throughout the e- the eighties. But then once the Batman film started with Tim Burton's eighty nine film with Michael Keaton as Batman and Jack Nicholson as Joker, and that movie itself, you know, was a blockbuster and it pretty much created the superhero genre and film. Um, it's not just you know a a Batman movie that you know. It just happened. It introduced a lot of new people to this character that since the 60s, you know, with Adam West, didn't know about. And it pretty much, um, it was kind of like a folded, it was a foldable metal metal bat symbol. So he could fold it and he could put it in his utility belt, even if, you know, you didn't see him always taking it out and it still was there. Um, And you can place it into, you know, in small places and you saw it you know not as just you know something to throw at a target it was thrown at enemies you know you could see it that it would hit their hand or it hit their leg or he would try to knock out something out of their hand you know he kind of used it in a tactical sense but it was still just the regular metal shaped bat you know there was there weren't any special tech or anything it was kind of based off of you know what the 40s and 50s had which, of course, that film, you know, with its, you know, film noir type of feel, you know, would definitely call back to, you know, Finger and uh, Gardner's original creation. Um, and so the the movie still continued, and what kind of changed was actually in 1992's Batman Returns, which brought back Michael Keaton, and, you know, it had Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, and... What was new about the battering was that it became remote controlled. When he had to go up against the penguin, he pretty much planned it where, even though it's kind of almost ridiculous how he planned to hit everyone in kind of almost in this circle shape. And then it was, he pretty much guided the, it's like a remote control car. Mm-hmm. He guided the battering to hit all of the targets that he planned on his thing. I don't remember that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first time you kind of really see the battering kind of coming out of, you know, just the regular, just, you know, just out of metal. It's something different. And since then, you kind the battering kind of has a more... 
um, a designer-friendly history, and it really comes in the films and the animated series, too. Um, even in Batman Forever, um, you get two types of batarangs. You have the regular Batman and the rope, where the batarang and the rope, and, you know, it's tied to it, and he throws it onto the side of a building, or he even takes out some of Two-Face's, you know, men, you know, just throwing it, and it gets in their leg, and they drag them away. And then you have... It's another tech one. It's a sonar batarang. That's and in Batman Forever? That's in Batman Forever, which is in 1995. It has the Jim Carrey as the Riddler, Tommy Lee Jones as Who's the Batman face. in that one? Is that uh, Val Kilmer? Or... Yeah, Val Kilmer, yeah. Okay. That was the only one he was Batman in. <laughs> and I, I like all of the Joe Schumacher ones. I know everyone always gets on it with that one and then Batman and Robin, which we'll talk about. But they call back to... I think kind of the camp of the 1960s, and I know it was such a it was such a drastic change from Tim Burton <laughs> to Joe Schumacher. It's just the dark and light was just I think that's what kind of threw fans off. But it still had the same type of mythology, and it still showed the type of characters that Two Face and Joker were, and you know, um, and and how Riddler was. But you got to see the sonar battering, which was the <laughs> which was the thing that took out um, Riddler's kind of mind control device that he had in his um, Nigma tech. Uh, it was like a super box, and he pretty much threw it, and it shattered the whole thing and messed up the entire system. So he had a sonar battering that matched the sonar suit that he would pretty much break into the system and destroy Riddler's plan. So still, even though it was something he just threw right at the the tech, it was effective enough to take down, you know, the, the main bad guy. And in Batman and Robin, the next one, which has George Clooney as Batman, you don't really see any batarangs, but you do get a nice shot of a whole wall of them, which kind of calls back to the Detective Comics issue we discussed earlier, the the hundred batterings of Batman, which that film in itself, you know, was just an homage to the Silver Age comics anyway. Um, so yeah, you don't see it in use, but you do see it um, as he has a range of different types of batterings. And, you know, it's just the battering. And that just shows, even though he doesn't use it in the film, that it's just part of his mythos. It's part of who he is and what he does and you, how You can't he deny it's screen time at some point, right? You got to put it on there. <laughs> exactly. It's that important where right. no matter. So with regards to films, did Batman did do or does Batman continue to use the battering? Yeah. And even in the recent um, I guess the Christopher Nolan trilogy um, that started with Batman Begins in 2005. I mean, I think what was most interesting was that you actually get to see um, Christian Bale, who was Batman, create the batarangs himself and actually molding it and seeing it. And it kind of just shows the process of how he's becoming... Um, the hero that he wants to be. And even though he's had, you know, it was a training with Ra's al Ghul and, you know, it was really focused more just on how he's, you know, he uses his martial arts skills and everything. It was a simple, it's still a simple bat shaped thing. And it was more 
as a diversion to then, you know, use his skills in fighting. Um, so you still see the battering then and even in, um, and you don't see the battering really in the next movie, The Dark Knight that, that came out in 2008 that had Heath Ledger as Joker, um, the, the sequel, but in the promotional posters, you saw Batman holding the battering in his hand. You know, you don't see it actually in use, but you still, um, it's still connected to him. It's still an, such an important part of him that even if he doesn't use it, it's still included into showing that this is who Batman is. And I think the best um, way that the battering was represented was in the third film that came out in 2012, The Dark Knight Rises, when he has the batterings that are shaped just like the kind of sleek emblem that, you know, the Nolan verse brought. He throws them and they're kind of like almost tranquilizing darts, you know, it kind of takes them out. You know, he throws them and it hits, you know, Bane's henchmen that are on the ice and, you know, it knocks them out. And so you already know that there's something extra to that than, than just, you know, a weapon. And I think even with the new Batman films that'll come out, you know, in this new cinematic universe that he'll, of course, have a battering. I don't see why he wouldn't. And I'm curious to see if they're going to develop more, um, you know, designs with it. Or just kind of keep it just as simple as you know, just a metal shaped bat. Another thing, <laughs> another thing to kind of anticipate. I mean, I've never, you know, I'm anticipating seeing Batman and Superman right. on, on the screen together. Right. I never realized how actually I'm also anticipating to see what the new battering is going to be. You know, right? But, so, and especially if he goes up against Superman, and people, I guess, are trying to figure how he's going to fight such a strong character and you know you can look at different you know story arcs especially people are looking to dark knight Returns since the style of batman's suit is based off of that comic people probably are automatically going to somehow they're going to introduce kryptonite and he could have kryptonite batterings which actually have existed before in superman batman comics um okay. so i mean it's just each thing, you know, it's like he's prepping for whatever he has to do. And I mean, if he has to go up against Superman, he could have something attached to the battering that could knock him out, which we don't know necessarily yet what's his weakness in this cinematic universe. Of course, it probably will be Kryptonite because that's his weakness just in every other That's his universal. That's right. his universal weakness in pretty much every incarnation, but... It would be interesting to see how they introduce that if they do and if Batman will use that against them in their big fight, however long or how much that will happen. But, yeah, I'm, I'm interested I, to see how I think it, it'd, be a, it'd have to be a surprise attack <laughs> because, right, couldn't Bat, uh, Superman just blow it away? That's the thing. I mean, I'm always really <laughs> – I'm thoughtful to the people that I that follow the page because, you know – we just love Batman. Of course, we want him to win, and we think he can beat anybody <laughs> and anything. But you know, I, I like to I like to say I'm I try to be as realistic about my fiction as possible. Yes, and I, like I that. <laughs> and I know what Batman is capable of, and I know what Superman is capable of, and it depends on. If it's a surprise attack or if he has prep time or – and even then, that might not be enough. It's mm. just – it depends on what the situation is pretty much. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, that is 
that's exciting actually now i i by the way i've always rooted for batman too <laughs> and i'm not saying that just because you're here <laughs> I've it was my it's, it was my first superhero that I loved when I was a kid. I mean I'm I'm a I love Daredevil now. Daredevil okay. is been my favorite since fifth grade, but before that it was Batman. It was Batman, and I think Batman has that appeal because he is with alongside Superman and Wonder Woman and the Flash and Green Lantern and all of these characters that are literally out of this universe, but. At the end of the day, he's still human and has human emotions, and I think that's what connects people to Batman. And I think most kids want to throw a boomerang shaped as a bat before <laughs> they ever get to shoot lasers out of their eyes. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> exactly. Anyway. It's almost more attainable, even if you uh, want to do that. Absolutely. I mean, than superpowers. You know, everyone wants superpowers, but if you can make it yourself, right. that's... I think that's even better. <laughs> no, it is definitely one of the allures of Batman. So tell me a little bit about uh, the Batarang in the cartoon world. And there's okay. multiple cartoon yes, worlds, so I'm so sure. so many cartoon worlds. And actually, you get to see that flourish in the later DCAU. But the Batarang, even in the opening credits of uh, Batman the Animated Series that started in 1992, the first, I guess, you know, cartoon that was within the DC animated universe and the opening credits you know it's it's in that dark deco you know design that Bruce Sim has everyone's in the shadows but he Batman throws out a batarang and knocks out both um the henchmen's guns out of their hand like bam bam right next to each other and even then so in every intro and in every episode you watch of the anime series you already have a sense of the battering you know you you just see that it's this figure that's the shape of a bat and it just knocked out those two guys and it's like you knocked out the guns and then he goes into you know fighting them fit you know fist fight and just what pretty much the kind of raw you know, ability that he has to just, you know, beat his opponent. And you don't really see it as a weapon, like he throws it and it knocks out the person. It's more of a diversion. He knocks out the guns. He hits a button on the wall. He uses it to grapple from one building to another. And it's not used so heavily, but the fact that it's in the opening credits, I think already, you know, illustrates that it's an important part of him because you see the Batmobile in the opening credits and you see, you know, the Gotham City blimp and you see all of these things that are kind of repre representing Gotham and Batman and that's already in it. And once you pretty much go through the 1990s with the animated series, you go to series such as the Justice League, um, you know, where he's with, you know, all of, you know, the Justice League and Superman and Wonder Woman. And he at times has one that's called like a razor batarang and he'll use it. And it's it's pretty much just a really sharp object. And he just throws it at his opponent and it kind of knocks him out. And then in another Justice League episode, he has the electric batarang which was actually used in comics around the same time in um the story uh batman hush um the electric batarang was used i think it's in batman 618 i think it's from 2003 
and he uses it against Clayface, who was in the form of Jason Todd. And he, it's an electric batarang, and he throws it into his leg, and it pretty much shocks him, and it takes him out. Um, but yeah, I think in the animated, you know, versions, they kind of played a little bit with the design, kind of added a little bit more tech, because especially in the Justice League, he's surrounded by all of these gods and, you know, these superpower beings that he has to kind of up his, you know, up his game. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's why, um, the... The animators of that kind of added that kind of mystique to something so simple at first, but it can do wonders when you work on it. Right. Where, um, what about Batman Beyond? Did, was there a battering there? There was a battering there. It was in the um, kind of more the traditional shape, but I think with Batman Beyond and even the Batman, which came out a few years after in 2004, it kind of. It just looked high tech, you know, the like in the Batman, it kind of had a blue hue around it. And, you know, you kind of would hear like a humming, like, you know, it was electric, it kind of had that charge to it. And in Batman Beyond, he had a battering as well. And speaking of that, you know, all of the Batman family at one point or another have their own batterings. Um, and I think that's why it's funny in that Teen Titans comic where he's like, our budget for Batarangs is pretty high. Um, you know, Batgirl has her own Batarang and Nightwing has his own Batarangs and Tim Drake as Red Robin had little R's that matched and even Oracle, she keeps a Batarang on her just in case she you said, sees you, it. You mentioned the R's for Robin? Yes. Very into branding. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, and I mean, even with that, I mean, when you see that R flying, you know exactly who you're going up against. Just like when you see the bat flying towards you and you're going up against him, you know you're going up against Batman. It's a pretty amazing. So where in, um, can I take it to comics real quick? Sure. So where is the Batarang now in comics? What Where are we at? What is he usually using it for? And what are some recent maybe... I uh, mean, stories recently, involving it. Yeah, it's, in particular, it's been used. It's pretty much still been used in, um, and even in Batman and Robin, he um, uses it in the in the New Fifty Two, and it's even in one comic. I think it was Batman and Robin thirteen. I think it came out about a year ago when um, he almost used it as he had three in his hand and he was going up against Robin um, and it almost looked like if you can picture it how Wolverine has like those claws it's kind of like he had three in his hand and it's pretty much used in defense it's not as much um, as a distraction but it, he does do more combat I think in these comics which I like you know it's the physicality of it is, is best but you do see the battering you see all of the same um, tools and gadgets that he uses but the battering I think is more sleek it's longer it's kind of you know the, like I said the design it depends on the artist you know and yeah the battering is still very prevalent even in the comics Batman Detective Comics Batman and Robin whichever he's featured in and it's still kind of used in the same way it can be used in combat or it can be used as a diversion and i think what it's used for 
has kind of stayed consistent throughout the 75 plus years, but just the way that it looks and the the capabilities that it has, I think has evolved with time. And I think that's what's so fascinating about it. Right. What about video games? Is it got a, is it got a place there? Definitely. Especially in the Batman Arkham world, you get a huge range of different types of batarangs. You get, an explosive battering and you get just um you know it's kind of like the still like the razor battering and you get electric batarangs that you can use to fight you know in your hand and still use it while you're you know fighting you know the opponent and there's like a reverse battering and a lot and even some of the batarangs are kind of still bring back that boomerang effect how he throws it and you know whether you need to op- you need to hit a button on the door to open up a secret lair or you need to hit bane in the leg or you need to you know whatever it is the battering's actually really important and the designers of the game i think they really i think out of all of the things they expanded a lot on using that but just making it so high tech and crazy you know that pretty much you know oh i need you know like from the explosive gel to just all of the things that you can use you know going through wherever you are whether it was in arkham asylum or you're in arkham city um or you're going through gotham and arkham origins and i think they'll do the same with arkham knight that comes out next month which i'm so pumped about um and especially since you can drive the Batmobile, I'm sure all of his, you know, I'm sure the tech in there is going to be insane. They might even go further than what they've already done. So you may not be doing anything for a while other than playing that <laughs> video game. That's usually what happens when they come out. Like for that weekend or a week, you know, I, I, I might be sick. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I might have to stay home. So it's very interesting. And I guess pretty logical when you think about it it's just how each different media pushes the next exactly it just it it continues to evolve and kind of build off each other and when you have a game like you talked about they can actually develop the tech or come up with all these ideas because clearly one of his best weapons in a video game is his long-range attack exactly and so then the comics and everyone else can kind of use that Right. To build off and make another story about. Definitely. Or include in the story. Right. Especially, yeah, with film and with the video games and, you know, just all of the tech, even that, you know, we use today. It's just technology is just, you know, evolving itself outside of the comics. And so I'm sure the creators pull from that. And I think the Batarang will just keep going. It'll keep becoming something greater and greater. And, you know, it might turn into something that's microscopic, but then when you throw it, you know, it can still be long range and it can still, you know, the the shape of it and what it can do, I think will still keep progressing. And that's the thing. It'll, even though it'll still change, Batman and the Batarang are kind of like as one. They're something that go together. I think that probably the Batmobile... Right, that, the Batmobile, and the Batcave. I think those three bat, you know, things are what people think of when they think of Batman, even if they don't even know much about Batman. No, I think you're right. So. I think you're right. So can you tell me your most memorable Batarang use in a comic book? Hmm. Something that really 
sticks with you that oh. uh, I think um, it would have to be in um, in Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns when he has you know the symbol itself which I know people have seen now because of Ben Affleck's suit is kind of a more fatter kind of emblem it's a little thicker it my favorite is when he tracks down Joker and he throws it and it goes directly into Joker's eye that visually was is still crazy even when I look at it today because it's so I don't know it's so violent kind of gory in a sense but the fact that it's such a simple object but it can be so pretty much lethal and you know and it's pretty much just symbolically Batman is in Joker's head which is pretty much like he is all the time so it's almost like a visual aspect of that so I think that that's a cool one yeah (laughs) what what about film or tv or the animated series and if you've got multiples I mean (laughs) they're fascinating so um I think still just the for me, because I'm a huge fan of Batman the Animated Series, the 92 to 95, and just throughout the 90s, that's just still my favorite because that was the first cartoon Batman I saw. Um, even though it's not used so heavily, when you would see the opening, mm. that's mm. just the opening and then with, you know, Danny Elfman's theme and just the whole, how it all comes together, how the battering is used. It just even though it's you're on it's on there for three seconds, but it, it's still just like it's iconic. You, it's iconic. It makes it so memorable, even if you don't you know necessarily like the series as much as others or watch it as much. You always remember that, that opening, that defining that, moment. Yeah. What about it? Do the movies have a a, a battering um, defining moment? I am a huge fan personally of the the dark knight rises because bane is my favorite villain so i'm being very biased but i did like the way that he used the battering pretty much as knockout darts and just kind of took out everybody like 10 people in a matter of five seconds i thought that was pretty cool because you really don't see the battering in that in that Nolan verse, but with those, that was pretty, it was a big defining moment because he knocks out the people and then Batman comes back from being gone, you know, in the pit and, you know, he's been gone for months and the city is in chaos and then he comes back with these little battering darts and then, you know, he's all lighted up and then, you know, it's just, it pretty much is, it introduced his return back to the city and, you know, to stop Bane and all of that. And it was just with those little darts, with those little tiny Batman battering darts. And so I think those were most memorable. For me. So Bane is your favorite over <laughs> Joker? Yes. Ooh, that that's a, <laughs> that might be a show in itself. I, I could definitely do that. I would, yeah, I'd be more hyped than I am right now talking about batterings. Wow. And then put that down, write that down. Okay. And I mean, because I, I want to hear that. Because I do think for some people, Bane's introduction is, you know, when he broke Batman's back right. in the comics. Right. People do. I mean, Joker is crazy. But ba- but Bane broke his back. He literally broke him. And he didn't just break him physically. I mean, he – it depends on which, you know, incarnation you look at. But in the comics in Batman Nightfall in the early 90s, he systematically broke him mentally and physically and did pretty much planned it out so perfectly and then came and then literally broke him and – 
when I and I kind of was introduced to him through the animated series first. Even though it's funny, he's the villain that's been in there the least. He's only in technically one episode in the first uh, animated series. Right. Um, it's just in the episode Bang. Ooh. All right, all right, all right. Okay, this we're is... getting totally off topic, and but, I apologize. No, that's but... awesome. <laughs> because I now know, <laughs> and I can't wait for that next show when we talk about Bane. Maybe not the next show, but, but put that in but the... But soon, definitely. Cue that one up. Definitely. All right. Um, <laughs> what about a video game? Do you have an iconic video game, Batarang, that you've used or seen? Um, Probably my... in. In the uh, Batman Arkham series, Arkham Asylum is still my favorite. I, I know everyone loves Arkham City, and um, and I'm sure they're going to love Arkham Knight, and I'm excited for it. But, yeah, I really liked um, anything <laughs> explosive or anything kind of electric. And he's he has about, like, three or four different types of batterings. And you can choose which one you want for whatever situation you think deems it worthy. But, yeah, I really like the explosive and uh the reverse battering and pretty much just how and you know how it's designed where he throws it then it goes into slow motion and you see it hit each person and then come back mm. you know it's just i think the whole you know the thea- theatrics of it and how they kind of show him throwing it and then it goes in slow motion and then you see what you just did in slow-mo then it comes back i think it's just how it's presented you know it's just fun so I can assume what an explosive batarang is. What's a reverse batarang? A reverse batarang pretty much, it's almost kind of like the boomerang, um, but they just don't call it that because all the other batarangs, you know, some of them just stay, like especially if you throw it at a door and then, you know, it might electrocute the system and then it'll unlock it or an explosive one goes and then it just goes boom. Reverse, you kind of just throw it and it comes back to them. So I think it's kind of like the new modern way of calling it a boomerang, <laughs> but not calling it a boomerang. The reverse so, battery. The reverse battering, which is cool. It sounds cool. <laughs> So is there anything that uh, I'm missing here on batarangs that you want to educate me on or actually the audience on? Because I think we covered I mean, a ton. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think the most important thing you kind of get from it is that the batarang is probably his main choice of a weapon besides himself as a weapon. And it's been designed and introduced in all media which you can't really say that for a lot of the things you may see in comics in comics you may see a gadget that he uses in in only one and you'll never see it again but the batarang is kind of like almost like i said synonymous with batman just as the batmobile is and just as the batcave is even if you're not sure you know what those represent for batman in his history you know that Batman and has tons and tons of batarangs, and that's what he uses in pretty much any fight or any, you know, thing that he has to do. And it's just, it's just part of the foundation of what Batman represents. You know, he represents, you know, being human, and he represents, you know, knowledge and being able to build something that replaces you know all the superpowers that you see in all the other comics and just has this one simple thing that can be totally designed to be extraordinary amazing i love it i'm a new fan of the batarang (laughs) there is no doubt that i have a much better appreciation going into this or now 
since you've talked about it. I mean, that I have to say, London, again, it's fascinating how the the wealth of knowledge and the research that you've done is just fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. I know you love doing it. It's <laughs> not like I'm, you know, anyone's asking you to do it. You'd love doing it, but it's just, it, it should be recognized as something pretty awesome. Um, so thank you. So with that, uh, any news in the Batman world you want to discuss? I think now is a good time to yeah, maybe talk about that. there's been a few things that happened this week. Um, I think probably the number one that's still being talked about right now is um, the Suicide Squad cast. Um, the cast photo came out, all of them costumed. And, of course, for us Bat fans, we have been waiting to see what Harley Quinn looks like. And there has been, of course, you know, the spectrum of responses from fans. I think, and I and I mean, this is for me too, since I love the animated series and that's where Harley Quinn was created by Paul Dini and designed by Bruce Timm, that we would love to see that original um, incarnation. But just the fact that it's going from animation on TV to live action, it's kind of hard to modernize her look. I mean, not everyone can, you know, rock a onesie and a jester costume. It's kind of hard to do that, you know, I think in live action. But, you know, her, you know, how Margot Robbie looked, you know, from the set pictures and from just the cast photo, it calls to her new 52 look and the comics that come from there and also even in the Batman Arkham world when she's in Arkham Asylum and Arkham City just the kind of you know it's a very modern punk look and I think people kind of even see that with the promotional photo that we see um, of Jared Leto as Joker where you know he has the tattoos and you know it's very kind of for a lot of people it's not what they expected of Joker but looking at the ensemble cast it kind of, that's just a kind of modern punk kind of feel it has to it. And um, I even talked about on the Instagram page that Bruce Tim, who created Harley Quinn, who designed her, he gave a reaction to her and he is being optimistic. He says, I'm optimistic. I thought it was really cool. And he even said, I was worried that it was going to be quote-unquote a little skanky but I think that what they're doing is good so far so for me being a huge Bruce Tim fan just in general I would trust that if the creator is okay with how she looks right now then I should be okay with it too and it's so early you know the movie doesn't come out till August 5th 2016 so it's over a year away and, you know, we're getting all these little snippets and all these little pictures and things like that. Um, but it, I think we just kind of have to wait and see. Right. But so far, I'm totally, you know, like I said, I have, I have a very open mind about movies and where it goes. And um, I definitely think people are still talking about it. Some people don't like it, but some people love it. And I think that's just with any type of superhero. Any superhero yeah, thing they're going to get. I mean... <laughs> I love the new Dare. I'm being a Daredevil fan. I love the right. new Daredevil show. I thought Kingpin was fantastic, mm -hmm. and I've now starting to hear. Oh, I think Vincent D'Onofrio overacted, and right. he wasn't that good. So, and it, I heard that people weren't happy with the costume in the end. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, listen. No one's going to be happy a hundred percent of the time. A hundred percent of the time. You know, or exactly. I guess not everyone's going to be happy a hundred percent of the time. So. 
Um, well, I guess I'm a, I'm a, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts as they keep on releasing new information. Right, definitely. And also, I don't know how many people are really into it, but Fox's show, live action show Gotham, had its season finale on Monday this week, and I thought it was pretty explosive, and I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, whether or not I liked how certain characters acted in the end was the best part of the entire season so far is because Alfred and Bruce discover an underground cavern that you can hear flapping bats in the background and they pretty much introduce the bat cave and even though he's young and he's not gonna be Batman next season just the fact that they introduced that part of his mythology which like I said is synonymous with Batman and everyone was waiting for something and he's not gonna be in the suit and he's not gonna be driving a car because he's too young to drive a car <laughs> and he's not gonna you know have all of these gadgets and stuff but he has the place where he's pretty much probably going to build into the hero that we're all awaiting for him he to could see. start practicing with a boomerang <laughs> exactly you know never know he could start making those down there and make his own workshop you, you never know yeah. so i thought that the gotham finale was actually pretty good um it kind of tied up certain loose ends but then is leaving you wondering what's he gonna do with finding this cavern and then you know penguin pretty much turns into you know the so-called ruler of the criminal underground in gotham and so how long is that gonna last and you see kind of the Riddler, well, he's not the Riddler right now. He's still Edward Nigma and works with the GCPD. You see that he's kind of snapping and he's turning into that kind of psychotic mind that he already has. But he, you each see, you see each character kind of transforming into the characters that we know them now. So I'm excited to see when the next season starts. So bottom line is you're you're enjoying Gotham. I am enjoying Gotham. I know a lot of people are thrown off with the age. But I think just as a whole, if you're a fan of just Batman, I think it's something to look into if you haven't watched it yet. Right. There's a lot. I mean, hey, let it build. Let it build and accept it for what it is. I exactly. Think would be your your advice, right? Exactly. Yes. Any other Batman news? Um, I think pretty much everyone is still just really excited for Batman Arkham Knight, the final game in the Batman Arkham series to be released June 23rd. Next month, and Who, who's the game company for that one? Rocksteady came back. I know people had a problem with um, Warner Brothers Montreal doing Arkham Origins, but for the first game, Arkham Asylum, and the second game, Arkham City, Rocksteady Studios was you know the design, and they're coming back to do the final one, and they're introducing Batgirl, which was kind of news. She's going to be. Um, part of, you know, she's going to be, I think, a, a downloadable character. And it's interesting to try to figure out which Batgirl she is because Oracle is in the series and that's Barbara Gordon. And everyone knows Barbara Gordon is Batgirl. So are we going to see Stephanie Brown? Are we going, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see the people that are going to be in the game and just more of what we're supposed to expect. So. I think just on that front, everyone's just excited and just, wa just waiting to play the game. Super. See new batarangs. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that is fantastic. So uh, why don't we talk about what you're going to talk about next week? Okay. It's something that I've talked about 
before with the followers on Instagram, and I always find it to be a fascinating topic because just like, you know, the Batmobile and Batman are pretty much one, a concept for Batman that he doesn't kill or he doesn't use guns is probably one of the most famous elements in knowing who Batman is, and that pretty much wasn't the case for his 75 years. I mean, he's used guns and he's killed people. And I think that's always something interesting to explore because Batman is such a dynamic character and has changed and evolved throughout the years that there are parts of history that even if you may not consider it, you know, something you like, it's part of his history. And kind of we're going to explore his guns and killing history and kind of how... It went from him being the dark Pulp Fiction mass vigilante that had a gun pretty much in every uh, Golden Age start in his first year, 1939, 1940s, early 40s, to becoming the more, you know, you use your wit and your resources and your knowledge. And he was very anti-gun, anti-kill. So we're going to talk about that Fantastic. in the next, next episode. And so if... The listeners have questions for you or suggestions or requests on what they might want to hear you talk about. Where and how can they reach you? The easiest way to reach me is if you email me at historyofthebatman at gmail.com. I will for sure get everyone's responses if you have a question or if you want me to talk about a Batman-related topic that you really think would be a great episode. I am very open to suggestions. And, of course, if you just want to send in your request over Instagram at Instagram.com slash History of the Batman or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash History of the Batman or even on Twitter at Hist, H-I-S-T of the Batman, um, then I'm definitely all in. But the easiest way definitely is email. And I can't wait to hear from you guys. Awesome. All right. Well, let's wrap it up tonight. And I want to thank you again for taking the time to share all this wonderful information. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, hope you have a good rest of your day, evening, or whatever time you're listening to this. And just want to thank you once again. We've got our main man here producing and engineering the show now, Mason Booker. He actually did it uh, the first two episodes as well. We want to make sure he gets proper credit because he is really hooking this up for us. So thank you, Mason. (laughs) Um, Anyways, this has been the History of the Batman with London, brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. See you next week.